everybody, and welcome back to the Practice Makes Faithful podcast. Thank you all so much for joining us again today, or whenever you are listening to this. And uh, today, I am Ben Patterson, and I'm joined by Paul Hubert. Yep. We're here, ready to rock and roll. It's a super rainy day outside. Yes, it is. I mean, it's, yeah. But the first time we've had rain in like, what, three weeks? So Yeah, it's been a hot minute. I, I guess we're going to take it. So it's mm-hmm. good. Get all, get all three weeks worth of rain in one day. So wherever you are, I hope, well, if you like the rain, I hope you're having some rain. And if you <laughs> like the sun, I hope you have some sun. Yep. There you go. There's our wishes for you. That's right. (laughs) Um, And today we are in the fourth part of our series, Under Pressure. This has been our May series. Next week we will conclude that series. And by the way, stay tuned for the end of the podcast today. We got just a couple of housekeeping notes to let you know about the podcast. We'll tell you that in the very end. But um, as for next week. But for today, we're going to continue in this series, Under Pressure. It's series on the book of First Thessalonians. So, Paul, we were in part four. Why don't you go ahead and, I guess, first off, just give us a quick recap of the series. Where have yeah. we been in this series up to this point? Yeah, so it's, it's really important, again, to remember that this, this is a series about what it looks like to live life under pressure. It's looking at a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to the Thessalonian Christians. This is First Thessalonians, we call this. He had, he, we know he wrote another letter. We don't, I mean... He may have written others too. We just don't have them. So we have First and Second Thessalonians. This was probably the first letter that he wrote to any Christians that we we have kind of record of, um, and he was writing because they were under pressure. If you remember last week, we talked about the fact that uh, he actually sent his young disciple apprentice Timothy to go see how the Christians in Thessalonica were doing because he was so worried about them. That, that they were maybe walking away from faith. Like, that was his concern. Like, they're, gonna, they're under so much pressure for living their faith, for following Jesus, for making the choice to follow Jesus, that they're going to walk away. They're going to leave this all behind. And so, really, that's kind of where we've been to this point in the series, is, is looking at uh, what it looks like to live under pressure. Kind of the whole thesis of this, of this series is that the Thessalonian Christians, because of their faith, the fact that they lived faithfully under pressure, they've got a lot to teach us as well. And so, um, so for this particular week, uh, we moved into chapter 4. Um, chapter 4 is, uh, you know, again, obviously comes on the heels of chapter 3, but the thoughts of chapter 3, if you remember, are just Paul rejoicing over the faith of the Thessalonian Christians in the spite in, in spite of the pressure that they were facing mm-hmm. so he's just excited as can be if you remember last week talking about the fact that you know he says he feels like as now he as though now he can really truly live mm-hmm. because of the faith that he sees in them so that moves him into chapter four and, and you would think that uh, you know on the heels of commending them the way that he did that maybe chapter four would be more of that but chapter 4 takes on a little bit of a different tone. They are really truly living the life that he has called them to live, really that ultimately God called them to live. But instead of spending another chapter telling them about how great that is and how great they're doing, Paul actually says, listen, this life that you're living, don't become satisfied. Keep going at it. 
more of it. So he, in fact, two different times, he says, do what you're doing now more and more about two different things. You know, so the first one is this idea of holiness and sanctification. The second idea is the one is the idea of love. And Paul says, as it relates to holiness and sanctification, do this more and more. Mm -hmm. So this is what you're doing. And as it relates to love, loving each other, loving others, same thing. Do this more and more. So don't be satisfied. Don't stop doing what you're doing. Don't stop living the way you're living. Don't don't get to the point. And really, I think that's kind of what he what he's saying. And, and maybe you know, there's this human tendency. Um, to we talked about this on Sunday as well. That oftentimes when we arrive at a place that is pretty good, we decide that pretty good is good enough. Yeah. Or just yeah. that good is good enough. Isn't good good enough? Mm -hmm. And especially when you're under pressure, you might be even more tempted to say, and, and certainly you would have thought that might be true about the Thessalonian Christians, and I think Paul is actually anticipating that as he is telling them, don't stop doing what you're doing. Don't ever get to that place where you feel like, especially in relation to um, your life in Christ, don't ever get to the place where you determine that good enough is good enough. So keep pushing through. You know, to be a follower of Jesus means that every day we have the goal to look more like Jesus than we did the day before. So really, that kind of is, uh, in a sense, that is uh, chapter four. I shared as well. Um, you know, I think. This is something that a friend of mine, a guy named Harry Brown, uh, who works with New Generations, um, said this summer when I was with him. And he said it several times. And the first time he said it, uh, it almost bothered me just a little bit. It created a tension within me. Um, as he said these words, he says, God is easily pleased, but he's impossible to satisfy. <laughs> I'm thinking, wait a minute. God is impossible to satisfy? It just, in my mind somehow, it... It almost seems if God is if God is never satisfied, you know. I think it may be about people who are never satisfied. Yeah. Um, but often people who are never satisfied are satisfied because they can never get enough to please them, hmm. right? Mm -hmm. But God is wanting not necessarily just things from us, but He's always also and always wanting things for us. So He's wanting good things for us. The good thing that He wants is that we become more like Jesus every day. So when you put it in that light, when you frame it that way, it's understandable why God is easily pleased. As we take steps day by day to becoming more like Christ, and I think that's what the Apostle Paul was saying to the Christians at Thessalonica, as you day by day take steps to become more like Jesus, God is there cheering you on, excited about it. But there's never a day, until it is the last day, there's never a day where you reach the last day of trying to become more like Jesus. Mm -hmm. So in that, God is easily pleased, but He's, he's impossible to satisfy. And so really, I think really, yeah. that, that kind of quote, that, that thought set the tone for, uh, for the message this Sunday and kind of gives you a snapshot of what, uh, what chapter 4 is all about. So definitely kind of a fun chapter. Paul, the Apostle Paul hops around a little bit. But all of it really ties back to kind of that central theme, that central idea. That's good. 
Awesome. Well, thank you for that. That's a helpful recap of the series and a little bit into this week's message as well. Um, so I guess one of the things that you did talk about in this is you kind of talked about this prevailing idea in our culture, and you said that the message of culture is that we need to let go of, we need to cast off our inhibitions. And you quoted a book on that, and uh, yes. a lady kind of sharing some some of her thoughts on that yeah. attitude, and uh, really making this case that this is a prevailing attitude both in our culture and then even yes. in the Thessalonians culture. So would you share a little bit more about that, a little bit more about that sentiment of why that's, why would you see that as such a problem? And and um, just what that what that even means? Yeah. So uh, I think when we think about where where do the pressures that we as Christians face come from? It's oftentimes some of those some of those pressures, maybe even most of those pressures, are from the culture around us mm-hmm. to be different than we're called to be. So it's to conform to culture instead of being conformed to the way of God. Okay. Right. So I, you know, we talked about uh, on Sunday that uh, that God has this vision for every Christian life. And that the vision that he has for every Christian is sainthood. Mm-hmm. Now, it was interesting when I said that. I can see there are a few people saying, wait a minute, every Christian? I mean, that is the vision of God for every Christian, that we would all be saints? What do you mean by that when you say sainthood? Well, maybe we can talk about what we think about first when we hear the word sainthood, right? So we I think of a Catholic saint. Right. It's the first thing that comes to my mind. So we think about... Somebody's you know, performed two miracles yes. and who's been... Uh, Put as a saint. That's right. So there's a standard. You can perform those miracles while you're alive, or maybe you could somehow perform those miracles once you're gone too. Because you know some perform miracles after they're gone and then become saints uh, afterwards. But yeah, so that you know when you think about that, if that was the standard that you have to perform at least a couple of miracles, mm-hmm. how many of us would qualify for sainthood? Yeah. But really, when we when we get to the biblical picture of sainthood. Um, and and for, for somebody who's raised in a Catholic tradition, this may cause some tension. And, you know, I think maybe even for some of our folks who, who have a Catholic background, you look at that and say, okay, wait a minute, wait a minute. The church, the Catholic church has defined sainthood this way. And these are the people that we elevate, even pray to saints, right? Mm-hmm. So light a candle for a saint. There's a saint over this. There's a saint over that. And there's a saint over the other thing, right? So um, the Christian or the biblical picture of sainthood is is more, it's just a, it's just a way to name those who are in the process of being sanctified by God. So, so day by day, becoming more like Jesus. The, the Greek word for sanctification and holiness has at its heart the same root. So hagia, right? Okay. So um, it, it's this idea of being holy. It's this idea of being sanctified. Does the word apart. saint come from the word sanctified? Uh, yes. Uh, okay. Yeah. Okay. Yep. So the word saint comes from the word sanctified. Okay. So, um, so you think about you know the apostle Paul in most of his letters, by the way, opens up his letters with a greeting to all the saints in Rome or all the saints in Ephesus, all the saints in Corinth. Now, if you think about the saints in Corinth in particular, um, you know Paul is calling this church and the people who make up this church, who by the way were a hot mess. Yeah. Paul is calling them saints, right? They, they were divided all over the place. They were screwing up the Lord's Supper. They didn't know how to treat, um, you know, spiritual gifts. They had a guy in the church who was sleeping with his stepmom. I mean, this was a messed up church. And the Apostle Paul opens the letter by calling them saints. Mm-hmm. So again, it, it, to, to be a saint 
is to be in the process of being sanctified. Right? So that is, that is God's vision for every Christian life, mm-hmm. is that we would be saints, that we would be in the process of being sanctified, which means, again, it's this idea of conforming to the vision of God for our lives, right? as opposed to any other vision that could exist yeah. for our lives. Gotcha. Okay. Okay, so it's God's vision for us. Okay. So, so it is. It is this process of conformity. There's no doubt that, 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 that that's there. So, um, so that, that first statement again, so the, uh, the vision of God for every Christian life is sainthood. I think that's helpful, I guess, just when we hear that with that new, maybe a new understanding of what that means, what it means for sainthood, right? Because if you have it in the Catholic definition, that's not quite what you're talking about there. Right. But that, uh, that is, that's helpful. Correct. Yeah. So I, I want to make sure that we're dealing with you know the earliest uh, maybe biblical picture of what yeah. a saint yeah. was. You know, and, and just every Christian was considered a saint. Uh, that's the way Paul mm-hmm. addressed them and others as well. That's good. Okay. So so that is one vision for our mm-hmm. life. Mm-hmm. But then you have this other vision for your life, which is kind of the the dominant cultural vision for the way we ought to live life. In our culture, it's the dominant Western narrative, right? We've talked mm-hmm. about that mm-hmm. before on this podcast. Um, you know, it could be the postmodern uh, narrative for your life that, you know, nothing matters more than happiness. So you should pursue happiness at all costs. You have the ability to define your own meaning, to create your own truth. I mean, all these things. So, so go ahead and chase after those things, which in a sense tries to say don't conform to anything except what your inner heart wishes you to do. Um, and so that is kind of, I think, sometimes the message of culture, although the reality is, even though culture may have that message for you, the reality is it's still a conforming to something. It's mm-hmm. Even if it's mm-hmm. do whatever you want to do, it's actually conforming to the fact that culture is saying do whatever you want to do mm-hmm. instead of control yourself. So again, back to this statement that the message of culture is let go of or cast off your inhibitions. Um, this it seems to be by what the Apostle Paul says as he addresses these Christians in Thessalonica that that, that would have been true for them as well. Okay. Otherwise, why is Paul saying it's God's will that you should be sanctified? And then he tells them a number of things that they should avoid, right? So he says, avoid sexual immorality. Then he says, learn, each of you should learn to control your own body in a way that is holy and honorable. Not in passionate lusts like the pagans who don't know God. So to know God means to control your body. It means to avoid sexual immorality. He says, don't take advantage of a brother or sister. He says, what's going to happen is God will punish all people who commit sins like this. He says, God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. Mm-hmm. I mean, those are, those are really heavy words. And in fact, he goes on right after that to say, if anybody, inst- you know, if anybody rejects this instruction... I think he's kind of thinking of himself when he says, you're not rejecting a human being. So you're not rejecting my words. These are God's words. This is God's instruction. The same God who gave you the Holy Spirit is the same God that is inspiring these words to you about the kind of life you should live. But that stands in stark contrast to the message of culture, which says, indulge yourself. Which it, certainly it seems that that's the trouble that the Thessalonian Christians were having as well. It's the yeah. same struggle that we have today. And I did talk about, um, you know, th- there's this uh, there's this lady named Glennon Doyle. Glennon Doyle was a, a Christian blogger. She was uh, happily married. I think she's got three kids, or maybe she wasn't so happily married. Maybe that's part of the problem. I don't know. Um, 
you know, but she was she was married. She was a, a Christian blogger. Um, you know, I think very, pretty influential, fairly influential, and, and uh, I think had had a lot of good to say that certainly seems to have some biblical truth connected in it. Um, but she decided to walk away from all of that. You know, when we talk about the, the deconstruction stories or <laughs> certainly even the deconversions. I mean, she would go all the way to uh, being probably a deconversion story, embracing now some very loose spirituality instead of biblical Christianity. So she wrote this book a few years ago called Untamed. Mm-hmm. And the, her basic idea is this. My, my struggle and my unhappiness, my frustration in life uh, was not because I was trying to live and become more, well, it was because I was living more holy. I was, I was trying to live more holy. I wasn't finding happiness there. So what I needed to do was untame myself. Instead of allowing society, or not really society, instead of allowing some sort of influence to tame me, which would be the idea of controlling your body, not indulging yourself in sexual morality and lust like the pagans, that was the problem, is that I was saying yes to those things, the things of control, Mm-hmm. as opposed to the things of casting off my inhibitions. And since I've cast, my in off, cast off my inhibitions, I'm now super happy. And this is what life is really all about. So, so do whatever She's you want to do. directing that directly towards biblical principles. Right? Oh, yeah. not, there's not sure. just cultural stereotypes. Because like, there right. might be something admirable in some of them. But this is like, no, she's saying biblical standards. Like, yeah. these are taming people in a bad Correct. way. Okay. Correct. And, and, and I think also maybe some, some influence of culture as well. But mm-hmm. it's, you know, maybe it's the culture that, that had an influence of the Judeo-Christian worldview that yeah. is, yeah. it's putting these chains on us when mm-hmm. we need to break free of those chains and then we can do the things we want to do and live life the way we want to. And so uh, I'll just share with you a few things that she says in this book. Uh, she says this, she says, I mean, it is, it is getting to this untamed place that, that leads her to say, I will not stay, not ever again, in a room or a conversation or relationship or institution that requires me to abandon myself. And really what she means by that is that that requires me to embrace self-control or not be true to my true self, whatever I define as my true yeah. self, yeah. you know, in that moment happens to be. She says this as well, which I, I, I would love to get the chance to question her on this, ask her about this, flesh this out with her, because, you know, what I see is, yeah, well, I'll read the quote and then I'll come back and say what I see. She says this, she says, there is no greater burden on a child than the unlived life of a parent. Now, again, I'd really like to ask her, what, what do you mean by that? Help me understand that a little bit more fully because what I see is when I sacrifice for my kids mm-hmm. and I don't indulge myself, mm-hmm. my kids are better mm-hmm. off. When I become selfish and I say, well, I gotta live my life, that's when things aren't so great for my kids. And I can start to see I'm, I'm neglecting my kids in different places. But maybe, she, maybe what she's trying to say is, look, I'm trying to be happy and, and I parent best out of a happy place. I, I don't know, but certainly it does sound like a very, very self-centered statement. She says this as well. She says, she says as well, she says, you, you are here to decide if your life, relationships, and world are true and beautiful enough for you. And if they are not, and you dare to admit they are not, You must decide if you have the guts, the right, perhaps even the duty to burn to the ground that which is not true and beautiful enough and get started building what is. Now, the reality is in in some context, you could look at that and say, okay, I I could see that, but it, it really depends upon what your definition of beauty is. 
And it's very obvious throughout this book, and I'll, I'll be honest, I, I have not read this, I did Audible this book, uh, so I listened to it. Um, but it's very obvious that, that throughout the book, what she, the vision that she is casting for life is one that is unrestricted and unbound by any outside influence, and that that is what beauty is. So whatever you feel like on the inside is good, you go do that. Mm-hmm. So you, it's, it's, the, it's the ultimate, it's a quintessential follow your heart. Um, and again, it, it led her to abandon her marriage. Uh, it led her to, you know, pursue a relationship that many of us would look at and say, no, you shouldn't have pursued that relationship. Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, so that was what she decided. This wasn't beautiful enough. I'm trading this now for something else, regardless of what happens. Well, I know yesterday you uh, you you pointed out several times. I think you said in the message that the point of this is obviously it's not to just it's not to pick, pick on right. Glennon Boyle, but that's just one pop culture manifestation Correct. of this broader attitude, yes. right? So I guess yeah, she just had written a, a New York Times bestselling yeah. book that yeah. was on the New York Times bestsellers list for quite some time, and she vocalizes a lot of what the culture around us is saying. That's right. And then my question for you then would be, so what is, what's the problem with this attitude? What what's is the, the problem with this attitude? And some of that, maybe some yes. of that's obvious, but um, help, let's, let's uh, tease that out a little bit more. Yeah, so, you know, for, for us as Christians, here, here's what the problem is. Our call is to live a life that pleases and honors God. What Glennon Doyle is suggesting and what the culture around us is suggesting is you ought to live a life that pleases yourself. (laughs) So please yourself. You chase after whatever you want to chase after, your own dreams. But there's a very contrary message to that in Scripture, which I think actually paints a more beautiful vision for life. So again, it's it's the question of what are we determining is, you know, how do we define beauty? (laughs) Do we find beauty? I'm going to do whatever really makes me happy. You know, I mean, frozen, right? No right, no wrong, no rules for me. I'm free. Yeah, yeah I got to go. Yeah, yeah. I, I've got a six-year-old daughter, so I'm, I can get that one. You know, but no right, no wrong, no rules for me. I'm free. So yeah. if, if that really is the picture of life, is that there is no right, no wrong. There's no rules for me, and that is what freedom is. Well, that's going to lead you to live in a very particular way. And it's not going to be the vision that God has for your life. Yeah. So that's that in the end is what's wrong with that, is that God has this vision for our lives where, yes, we, we say yes to self-control. We say yes to avoiding impurity for the sake of holiness. Mm-hmm. Right? I mean, we, we prize holiness and sanctification enough that there are some things we say no to and that we say there are rules for me. And, and God gets to... God gets to help guide me in that, and, and really, as my Creator, He knows, He knows the best rules, and He knows why those rules should be followed as well. Mm-hmm. So He sets those guidelines, those guideposts, and and I want to follow where He leads in that, as opposed to I'm the leader. Yep. And everybody can deal with it, and if you don't like it, that's just too bad. But this is what I'm doing. So again, that's good. Never going to be in a room again, or a conversation, or anything like that, if I have to abandon myself, or no. I'm going to take Jesus' vision, vision for me, which is to deny myself daily mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and take up my cross and follow Him. And that, to me, is what beauty is about. So it's just, again, it's, I think it's a, it's a real different vision for what beauty or what a beautiful life truly looks like. I love that. Very cool. So, all right. So, um, 
Let's talk about a couple of those words that you've used a couple times that are like, they're pretty big Christian words that I don't know if we always fully understand what that means. You talked about holiness and sanctification. What, maybe first off, is just simple definitions of how do you define those words. But then I guess, then maybe more specifically, more practically, is what does that, what does that mean for us to live a holy, sanctified life? Yeah, so um, so we, we took a shot at sanctification already. So again, I would say sanctification is this process um, by which we become, we embrace more and more the vision of God for our lives as we live. You know, daily we do okay. that. So it is, it is, you could say it really is. It's being sanctified is becoming a disciple of Jesus and more and more becoming like Jesus daily. Mm-hmm. So that is the process of sanctification. It is the process of becoming more of what we should be and less of what we shouldn't. Mm-hmm. So I think it's both, right? So it is more and more the things that drag me down. And again, a very, very different vision for life. Freedom is saying yes to all the things I want. But the problem is what we actually see in Scripture is that when we say yes to all the things we want, we find ourselves more and more in bondage to, to sin, mm-hmm. right? So what one calls free, another calls a type of slavery. You know, the, the scripture would call it a type of slavery. And so, you know, holiness is actually, or sanctification is actually then becoming more truly free in that sense. We're becoming freed from those things that would, uh, would truly drag us down. It's the very, the weighty things. It's the guilt. It's the, you know, and so there's, I guess, one, I guess both visions for life are trying to become free from guilt. But I think only God has the real answer for how we can become free from guilt. And it's this process of, process of sanctification, becoming more and more the person that God wants us to be. More and more conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. So that's sanctification. The idea of being holy, you know, in the sense that God is holy and He calls us to be holy, is just this idea of being set apart. That's really what the idea of holiness is. So it's set apart. It's different from other things around us. You know, so there there were things that were set apart for the service of God in the temple that were just different tools that were used in the temple. So they were holy. They were set apart. We are now those holy and set apart things as well, in a sense, in that we are called to be holy and set apart for the service of God. So the same, same principle, but we're holy and set apart for the service of God, which means that we're not trying to serve ourselves all the time. We're not serving someone else. It's God that we're serving. So that's really, I think, the idea of holiness and sanctification um, go together in, in that way. So again, sanctification becoming more and more like Jesus, the process of holiness, recognizing or the, the idea of holiness, recognizing that we're set apart for God and that we belong to Him. Mm-hmm. So those are those ideas, just kind of, you know, uh, I think some, some good basic biblical concepts that, that all of us as Christ followers ought to understand. And it gives us an understanding then of the vision again that God has for our lives. And once we start to understand sanctification and holiness, we start to see that the vision of the culture around us, certainly the very, you know, the postmodern culture, but there are other cultures as well. I mean, every culture stands in opposition to the vision that God has for our lives to some degree, right? Every worldly culture, it just does, it's going to. Uh, God has something very different in mind for us. And so when we say yes to the things of God, holiness, sanctification in particular, we start to see just how counter, how different the, the vision that the culture has, the culture around us has for us, how different that is from the vision that God has for us. Um, so you asked about some, <clears throat> some practical implications of that yeah. uh, to some degree. And the Apostle Paul 
deals with that um, toward the end of this passage. You know, he talks about, uh, you know, more holiness, more sanctification, more love. And then at the end of that, he says, listen, here, here's what I want you to do all together in all of this. I want you to make it your ambition to lead a quiet life. And that's, I think, right around verse 11. And then he says, after that in verse 12, he says, you should mind your own business, work with your own hands, just as we told you, so that your daily, in your daily life you may win the respect of outsiders and that you, you won't be dependent upon anybody. Now, so this is where we kind of started to land the plane and the message on Sunday is to have this conversation about what does it mean to live a quiet life and, yeah. and yeah. how does that engage this idea of sanctification or holiness and why are we doing all of this as it is? Now, certainly there's a personal piece to this, but it's also because I think God's people are supposed to be different. I mean, think, think about set apart, set apart for what and why. Well, we're set apart to God, to honor God, yes, but we're also set apart to be an example to those around us. I mean, that's a big part of what the yeah. Apostle Paul has been talking about to the Thessalonian Christians throughout this letter. Uh, you know, especially in the first chapter, he says, by the way you're living, you're an example to all the Christians who are watching, but they're also showing the world something. And as Jesus says, our, our call is to be a light that's not hidden under a basket, but is visible for all to see, so that it gives light into the room, that it is light in the darkness, and we're supposed to be those kinds of people as well. And so Paul, through calling us to holiness and sanctification, is calling us to be people who are truly set apart. He's also calling us to be uh, people that are truly living principled lives. I mean, that, that is the whole call in this, is that, you know, the point of all this, in some sense, and at least in this passage right here, Paul says, the point of this is to win the, the, the respect of outsiders as they watch us live this truly devoted and principled life before God. So that is, that is a part of the point. Yeah. You know, so, um, you know, when we think about the idea of being principled, what I said on Sunday is that, we are not called to be obnoxious, but we are called to be principled. Mm -hmm. okay, I want to read to you a second statement that I made on Sunday as well, and then talk about kind of the tension between uh, these two places we can be in relation to these two statements. Um, so the first, again, we're, we're not called to be obnoxious, but we are called to be principled. There's no doubt about it, that we are called to that. The second is that we're, we're not called to loudly condemn those in the world around us, but we are very much called to be set apart from the world around us. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so again, these two, uh, these two places that we could be at, at opposite end of the spectrum and the tension that lies between them, you know, first is we can be truly very principled people, very principled people, but be obnoxious and no good whatsoever, right? Yeah. Yeah. to anyone around us. We're, we're not attractive. We're, we're not, in a sense, um, we're, we're not winning the respect of outsiders, as the Apostle Paul says. Even though we're being principled, we're not winning the respect of the outsiders because of the way we're behaving. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Now, I think inherent in this is the knowledge that even when we live principled lives, it is difficult to win the respect of outsiders. So when we become principled people, we're gonna to have to work extra hard to win the respect of outsiders while holding to our principles. Mm -hmm. uh, if we become you know, the next culture warrior, um, you know, where, where you're on a rampage, in a sense, and you're gonna knock everything down and fight everybody that doesn't agree with you uh, because you're trying to be holy and sanctified, well, maybe that's, one way of approaching things, but, but probably not the best way. So you could achieve some sort of 
set-apartness for sure. You could achieve some set of principled living or some type of principled living, but again, you wouldn't win the respect of outsiders at all in doing that. So again, you can be on this side where you're principled, but you're obnoxious. You're principled, but you're ugly about the way you're principled, so you're not kind and you're not loving in that. On the other side of this, we can just throw principles out, out the window because we'd rather try to appeal to culture in another way. Yeah. So, hey, I'm a lot like you. We're a whole lot alike. We're not that much different. Oh, this whole set-apart thing. Mm-hmm. you know. So, so we're not really truly set-apart. In fact, we become sort of more a part of the culture around us and then stri- still try to sneak in some Jesus every now and then. When the reality is, Paul says, I want you to dedicate yourself to being more sanctified, more holy, and then add in the love piece as well, right? So it's sanctification, holiness, and love, and all of those together, and that gives us the picture for the kind of people we're supposed to be. (laughs) You're supposed to be an absolutely principled person who loves deeply. Mm-hmm. Right? It's, it's again, mm-hmm. it's back to that conversation that we've That's had really that reconnects with John 1 14, you know, to be 100% full of grace, grace and, and 100% full of truth at the same time. So be principled, be holy, but don't ever do it apart from love for others. Be set apart, but don't hold the world at, at arm's length in a way that, you know, you're never going to let anybody get close to you, certainly not close enough to really see who you are and learn to know uh, why you do the things the way you do. You're just going to shout at the world about what they should do instead of letting them get close enough to you to see why you do what you do. And so, um, you know, that's, I think there's some real tension between those uh, two things. I understand it's, it's difficult. Again, what the, the vision that Paul is painting for the Thessalonian Christians is not an easy vision to live out, but it is the one that we must live out under pressure. We've got to both be principled people where we're not caving at all, but then we don't turn around and fight and we don't run away. It comes back to the tend and befriend piece again. Again, we, we love while being principled and not giving an inch as to who we're called to be. We're not going to conform. We're not going to give that up. So, um, you know, th- this, this comes to the last, uh, last kind of uh, example or last kind of statement I made for how we might live into this. Again, to say we're not called to find our satisfaction by indulging in the things of the world. So don't give in to the things of the world. Instead, find yourself at a place where you're truly satisfied in God. And if that's true about us, if we're truly satisfied in God, then it becomes so much easier, I think, to live this life under pressure because the things that are pushing on us don't become pressures, at least not the same way they were anymore. The temptations, the cultural pressures, the whatever, the pressure to conform. No, we want to be who God wants us to be. The vision of God for us becomes more attractive to us the more we find ourselves truly satisfied. Him. So I think that's maybe some ways that we can live out what it means to be holy and sanctified, uh, what the implications of that are. I love that. So as we come to a close, just got one final question for you, our weekly question, and it's how can we practice this to be faithful to Jesus? Yeah, I think it comes back to Paul's two more and more statements, right? Uh, to think about this idea of being holy and sanctified. And Paul says, you know, you're living for God. You are doing it. In fact, you're doing it, he says. So he says, here's how you ought to live. And in fact, you are doing this. But I want you to do this more and more. 
And then he comes back and he says, now about love, we, we don't have to talk to you about love. God himself taught you how to love because the Holy Spirit was at work in their life. And so he's, again, he is in, he's giving them glowing praise for the way that they are loving and then says, do more of it. More and more of love as well. So more of the sanctification, more of the holiness, more of the love. Incorporate these things into your life further. I think it really is a call. Again, back to this idea. You know, I think, I think in our Christian lives, it is easy for us, Ben, to get to this place where good enough seems good enough. We reach this plateau, again, talking about keeping the, the world at arm's length in maybe a slightly different way. And we keep the world at arm's length and they become our standard for what it looks like to be set apart. Instead of trying to go closer to God, we determine, we're asking the question, how close to the world can I be and still be set apart? Yeah. Right? Yeah. So, um, so the world becomes our standard, but, but what the Apostle Paul is calling to us over and over again is to not let ourselves be at this place where we determine that good enough is good enough that I've reached this place where I'm okay. A lot of people, I think, you know, even Christians, uh, even older, more mature Christians I've talked with, and, and they feel like they have at times plateaued in their Christian walk. It's going to happen with all of us. But sometimes there are these lengthy seasons of plateau, and it seems like the commonality in all those plateaus, especially those lengthy plateaus, is I, I got complacent. I kind of reached this place, and I thought, I'm okay here instead of continuing to strive for more. So, so here's, here's how I said it uh, on Sunday morning as we really landed the plane on this message. Is to, you know, as we find ourselves under pressure, let's not conform our way of living to those around us, right? Let's not adapt the way of the world around us, but let's lean further into the way of life that God has set before us, right? So it is this contrast between around us and before us. And if you want to go forward with God, you have to look to the things that are before you. It's this idea, you know, that the Hebrew author says, we keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. So we're looking ahead, fixed on Jesus. Now, as soon as we start looking at the things around us, man, we are going to, our relationship with God is going to bog down. The process of sanctification, our holiness, it's, it, it's going to, we're, we're going to be bogged down. But as soon as we return our eyes back on Jesus and we start looking again, what is before me, the way of life that God has set before me, we start doing that again. The next thing we know, we're, we're growing again in holiness, sanctification, all of that together. So it's the question of, are you conforming to what's around you or are you looking ahead to what's mm. before you awesome. in the end? And so again, more and more lean into holiness and sanctification, more and more lean into love. And don't be satisfied. Don't get to the place where you say, well, good enough is good enough. Mm. Be like God. You know, be easily pleased. Be happy when you succeed. But don't be satisfied. Mm -hmm. Always keep pushing forward. Mm -hmm. That's awesome. I love that. That is a great way to close it today. And uh, next week, we'll be back in this series. That's right. Concluding our last part of Under Pressure in Chapter 5 of Thessalonians. So yeah. we invite you all to join us for that. But before we go today, if you have a couple things we want to let you all know about. Yeah. 
The first thing is that Paul has released a new book called uh, The Way Back. It is available on Amazon. It's available for purchase now, right? Yeah, it is available for purchase right now. Yes. As actually, um, the, the publisher released it about a week and a half early, so currently only the print versions are available. Okay. Uh, so the, the official date was supposed to be June 3rd. Um, they got the, the print versions done a little bit early, so they released those. The ebook version will still come out June 3rd. You can find it on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, uh, pretty much any of these kind of retailers that, uh, that you would go to do your online book shopping. Um, and uh, it is my understanding that it will be in some select uh, areas here in, in Atlanta where we live. Obviously, if you're listening mm -hmm. somewhere else, uh, the easiest thing to do if you want to get a copy of that book is just go to Amazon and they will prime ship it directly to you. Groovy. Yeah, it would be an honor if you check that out. We'd love for you to check it out. Um, and in September, or I'm sorry, actually in August, August I should say, September. Yep. we will be diving into that. We're going to be talking about some of the content from that book. So it might be a great time to go ahead and read that over the summer, dive into that, and uh, that'll be corresponding with some of our message series here. Yeah, that's right. And then the second thing to let you know about is that we are going to be taking a break. We have loved doing this podcast. It has been an awesome first season. But next week will be our last episode of season one. Mm -hmm. And then we're going to take a break over the summer, and we will be back for season two in August, August. I believe, on a new day. We'll be dropping on Wednesday mornings. So we would love for you to continue to tune in and still be watching your feed. We might drop a couple of bonus episodes the summer, but we won't be doing the weekly release. We'll just take a little break. We'll regroup, and then we'll be back to it. Yeah. Look forward to, uh, to seeing you guys for uh, the last episode of Season 1 next week. All right. We'll see you all then.